Hello and welcome to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Mazzell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And this week we watched number 67 on AFI's top 100 list, 1966's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Ethan, are you afraid of Virginia Woolf? I'm not. I think I am. Ooh, good. But I feel like we should get a plot synopsis before we dive into that. Yes, perhaps we should. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is the story of two couples, George and Martha and Nick and Honey. Late one night after a faculty function, George, a history professor, and his wife Martha, the daughter of the university president, invite new professor Nick and his wife Honey over to their home for more drinks. George and Martha, who are very antagonistic, welcome the reluctant young couple in, and the four engage in heavy drinking and verbal sparring. Honey gets sick, and Martha helps her out in the bathroom, and when they reconvene, she reveals that Martha told her that she and George have a son, which upsets George. Martha and Honey retreat to the kitchen to make coffee, and George and Nick go outside, where Nick explains that he married Honey because of an hysterical pregnancy. George tells him a story about a boy he knew who quote-unquote, accidentally killed his parents. Nick reveals that he plans on sleeping his way to the top of the college and suggests that he should start with Martha. The couples then leave and end up having a drink at a roadhouse where Martha humiliates George by revealing his failed attempts at writing a novel, which was semi-autobiographical. He appears to be the boy who accidentally killed his parents, quote-unquote, accidentally. George attacks Martha and then explains his second novel, which mimics the life of Nick and Honey, mocking them. Honey is embarrassed and Nick vows revenge on George. In the parking lot, George berates Martha for humiliating him and the two declare total war. Martha picks up the younger couple and leaves George to walk home. When he arrives, he finds the drunk Honey in the back seat of the car and realizes that Nick and Martha have gone upstairs to have sex. Honey explains her pregnancy was real and that she aborted her baby secretly. When Nick and Martha come downstairs, she implies that he was too drunk to perform, but later admits they did have sex. George tells Martha their son has been killed in a car accident, and she begs him not to kill their son, strangely. Their son is, in fact, a fiction, as they could not conceive. They created a fake son to fill the void with the express rule that they may never reveal him to anyone else, a rule Martha has broken. The young couple leaves as the sun rises. Okay, Ethan, I think that was a very accurate and concise plot synopsis. One of the rare times I don't really have anything to push you on or question you about. However, I will ask, what the hell is this movie about? Oh my god, I love this movie, Matt. I love it. It seems very much like a thing that Ethan would like. I love this shit. I read this play in college. I have loved it ever since. It makes a lot more sense now that I'm an older person uh, than it did when I was 18. It's, It's just, it's so good. Yes, but why is it so good? Let's dig into that. In fact, let's even throw ourselves into themes while we're at it. it well, yes. I mean, the I think the most obvious and apparent theme is that of feminism. This is a this is a feminist movie play script. You're gonna have to fill me in on that one. Well, I mean, and it's all about how like Martha and Honey exert 
their power in ways that in the ways that are available to them right martha over and over and over you know is is defined by her husband and her father but of course you know her husband she you know does not really have a whole lot of respect for and so you know she again exerts her power honey even though honey appears to be this caricature of a woman we find out that you know she uh is she she basically tricked nick into marrying her uh and and you know and aborted her baby and doesn't want children doesn't want to deal with that uh despite the fact that later she says i do i do but i think that's a ploy and she's she's miserable because you know again she's like a housewife and has to talk to the other housewives and and hates it i mean it's all about these women you know and then and of course there's impotence in here right these sort of failed men that you know don't live up to what they really could do i guess I don't know if failed men is a point in favor of feminism. Well, yes, I mean, but that's true. I think that this is also that that leads to another theme, the theme of impotence and anxiety, I think. So that's maybe a separate thing. So let me say a little bit about this feminism thing, because I agree that these women have agency and autonomy in a way that you probably don't get a whole lot of in this time period. But at the same time, Martha is a monster. Yes, but only because what what else is she going to do? What do you mean? I mean, everyone's got choices, and, and George is no different here. He's a monster, too, but they're different monsters, and neither is a glowing representation of their gender. And so to no. call Martha point in favor of feminism because of her action, well, it's monstrous action. I wouldn't. I don't think I would go so far to say that this is pro-women or pro-men or anti-men or anti-women. I, I don't know if I buy into the theme of feminism, given how horrible these people are, each and every one of them. Tell me why Martha's a monster. I'm interested in expo- exploring that. She's all about systematically destroying her husband. Uh, yeah. Full stop. <laughs> That's monstrous. I mean, what else is that? Yes, I think so. I mean, but what's her other choice? To be a housewife and have no power and just eat chicken wings all day? No, I see your I see the point you're trying to make, but at the same time, it's not a it's not a great thing that she's it's this is not like women's liberation. This is not the move that feminism is trying to make. Right, I don't think she's a shining example of like a feminist icon. However, she does she is powerful and maintains her power and I mean she doesn't do it in perhaps. But you can make the same argument of a film set in the same time with a housewife that goes off and just murders people with a shotgun. And you could say this is this is an example of her exercising power. Yes, and I would e- exactly say that. And you would say this is a feminism movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know, it, it, it's it's an exaggerated, sort of ridiculous version of like what I mean. And I think to maybe in I think maybe part of what the film is saying is that at some point you have to become a monster as a woman, or or else you're a mouse, right? Like there it, it there aren't options. I think, and I think the I think what it does is make that very clear. I don't know about that. I mean, you mentioned mouse mousiness, and the people that are described as mouses are the father-in-laws of this relationship. So it's the men as mouse in this film. That's what's being deliberately drawn. So I don't know if I just don't see the film deliberately trying to say I'm championing feminism here. It seems like it's saying like. Everyone sucks. I don't think that it's necessarily championing feminism, but I think that it it does play with the theme of feminism by presenting women as as taking back power. 
or taking power, maybe not even back, just taking some sort of power. And, you know, maybe that isn't, it leads to some sort of monstrosity that is perhaps a byproduct of the situation that women in the 1960s have to live in. Maybe I buy that. I just, and I think the representation is problematic when you say, hey, this is, you know, I don't ever want to fix feminism to despicable characters i think is the thing sure that i understand that impulse well why don't we move on to our next theme you had already brought it up what was it again yeah i think it's i think this film absolutely deals with impotence and male anxiety okay so say more about that who is impotent in this film i mean nick and george in in very many ways I mean, George. George can't fulfill, you know, the what Martha expects from him. He can never be like her father. He is. He says over and over, "I'm, I'm in the history department. I'm not the history department." Like he, there's an expectation that at this point in his career, he should be running the place, and he's not. He can't do it. He can't get his novel off the ground. He is berated constantly in front of everybody by his wife. Right? Like he has. He has very little. Even the gun he pulls out and and sh- and shoots at his wife has a. It's not a gun. It mis- literally misfires. He can't have children, right? Well, no, it doesn't misfire. It's an umbrella gun. Like, I don't want to get the the listener confused in the well, situation. Well, okay, okay, okay. But it doesn't fire, right? It doesn't actually fire anything. It, it's yes. sh- effectively shooting blanks, right? As I think we can sort of assume that George might be as well, right? He can't have a child. Mm-hmm. Nick only, I mean... Even though Nick has this supposedly bright future in in front of him, he plans on doing it by doing things like sleeping with Martha. He can't do it on his own merits. So we have a sexual impotence mixed with a social impotence or perhaps career impotence. But I don't know about George's situation. He's 40-something, and he's an associate professor I think I don't for I don't believe him when he, him when he says forty something. I think he's he's older. Okay, well, I mean he's tenured at that point. Well, yeah, he's tenured, but he's not a professor. He's associate still. Associate is after you've achieved tenure, however. Or sorry, I mean, sorry, sorry, not... sorry, sorry. Not that's not what I meant. I mean, uh, he's not a full professor. He's got tenure, yeah. but he's not full professor. I feel like that takes a long time, though. Y- yes, it does, but. By the at, like, he's not in the sort of like uh, thicket of his career. He's coming towards the tail end. I think the point I'm trying to make is that Martha's expectation of him becoming the president of the college just seems kind of absurd. I mean, he—I don't know that can't inherit that position. You know, like it's no. crazy to think that. Oh, my daddy did it, so why don't you do it? Well, I mean, he, but he can't even. He's not even in charge of the history department, right? What like, mean, he not even. It's, it's not like. It's not a measure of your stature as a professor to become the head of the department because it is such a different track. It doesn't make sense to say, oh, you should be the head of the history department. I mean, yes, but I think there's I think there's an expectation that he is, should be highly successful and to, and is and it's just moderately successful. Not perhaps a fail, but I mean he fails with his novel, his 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 aspirations towards, you know, being a writer. Clearly he's being I mean he's a cuckold uh and I suspect that this is not the first time. No, I think he even indicates as much. Yeah. He talks about musical beds in the university, which is a, a really fun game that I definitely do not play. <laughs> you really don't sound sincere there. No, 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 no. No, I mean, no, who, listen. Well, never mind. 
I was going to say something about the university, but I guess I don't. You know what? Maybe in some universities that is a, the way it goes. So, Ethan, do you have any other themes for us to chew on, or should we move on to our pivotal scene and thesis? Uh, we could talk about a couple more themes, but, you know, why don't we just move on? Okay, so I think my thesis actually probably will get us into discussion of a theme, so I'll go ahead sure. and give it now. So my thesis is each of us creates our own illusions that we pass off as reality, in other words, truth. The act is preferable to dealing with a messy world that we live in. So you think this is a film about truth? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Everything we get here is a story, it is an illusion, it is a truth towards the climax of the film itself. We get a lot of discussion of truth and illusion. The entire impetus of the film is structured around this illusion, this false sun that they keep vying for ownership of and Mm -hmm. wanting to call it truth. Then we have the story of the hysterical pregnancy. Actually, it's a real abortion. We have just stories upon stories upon stories. George's life, is it autobiographical? Is it his novel? I don't know if we can actually believe it one way or the other because he keeps refolding that story into other aspects other illusions and so i really don't know what we can believe in that situation but it's really about i think these illusions we're throwing up and trying to distract ourselves with from the really deplorable situations these people find themselves in. well and then i think perhaps what this film finally gets at then too is that marriage is an illusion yeah i could buy into that the idea that it's an artificial bounding of life we're trying to neatly package something that's not so neat right yeah it's taking something that is messy and is clearly being used for lots of different reasons money career aspirations security of some sort sex obviously right so we have we have george perhaps marrying for political ambition we have nick marrying for money we have all sorts of these really again deplorable motivations for people do you want to give your thesis, or should I take us to our pivotal scene? Take us to our pivotal scene, because I really have decided that I think this film is about the sham of marriage, and that it has nothing to do with love, and it's always about political moves in some way or another. Man, you're just the pessimist over there. Look at you. I mean, I th- but I think it's a, I think the play is 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 a, a bleak outlook on this, and so the best you can do is create is craft all these stories around it, like you talked about, right? Like there. We do things for reasons that often are unsavory, and we create all these re- other reasons around it in order to appear altruistic or whatever. And it, and it's all about you know some sort of gain. Not it's not about partnership. It's about personal ambition or personal success in some way, shape, or form. Right. Narrativizing history. I mean, George is in the history department, right? Right. He's in the business of making things history. And we know that history of capital H is a story we tell and we label that as truth and say, this is how things went. And what we're doing is we're packaging something very messy and putting this little neat bow on it that just doesn't exist. So with that in mind, I took our pivotal scene to be almost at the end of the film. Mm. This is George's final game. This is, Mm. there's a lot of lead up here. I could probably have selected about 10 minutes of this scene to put up, but I shortened it down to when Nick and Honey re-enter the room and George is breaking the news to Martha that their son is dead. Is this the game of bringing up baby? Yes, this is the game of bringing up baby, <laughs> which I, I was like, huh, that's you know a reference, obviously, but I can't see how that's incredibly relevant to this moment. Right. But in any case, 
Jordans her down and builds up the tension and slowly pulls her apart and destroys that the lie that they have turned into truth in front of her. And she almost has this mental collapse as a result from it, which at the end of the film, George says, is gonna be, you're going to be better for it. But I want to preface this a little bit more in saying that right before this moment, we're having George and Martha having this all-out fight. And Nick says, I don't understand you people. You're all crazy. And they actually both turn toward him and say, well, you're not supposed to understand. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a direct address to us, the audience, until mm-hmm. we get this final bit about truth and illusions, which I think gives us some more solid grounds to stand on. So why don't we go ahead and listen to the clip? Here we are. Are you a bunny, honey? I'm a bunny, honey. Well, now, how's the bunny? Bunny funny. <laughs> bunny funny, good Come for bunny. Come on, George. Honey funny bunny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Last game. All sit. Sit down, Martha. This is a civilized game. Just get on with it. Now, I think we've been having a real good evening, all things considered. We've sat around and we've got to know each other and we've had fun and games. Uh, curl up on the floor, for example. The tiles. The tiles. Uh, snap the dragon. Peel the label. Peel the, peel the what? Label. Peel the label. I, I peel labels. We all peel labels, sweetie. And when you get through the skin, all three layers, and through the muscle, and slosh aside the organs, them which is still sloshable, and get down to the bone, do you know what you do then? No. When you get down to the bone, you haven't got all the way yet. There's something inside the bone, the marrow, and that's what you've got to get at. Oh, I see. The marrow. But bones are pretty resilient, especially in the young. Now, take our son. Who? Our son, Martha's and my little Joy. George? Yes, Martha? Just what are you doing? Why, love, I'm talking about our son. Well, don't. But I want to, Martha. I think it's very important we talk about him. You, my dear, you want to hear about our bouncy boy, don't you? Who? Martha's and my son. You have a child? Oh, yes, indeed, do we ever. Martha, do you want to talk about him or shall I? Don't, George. All righty. Well, now, let's see. He's a nice kid, really, in spite of his home life. I mean, most kids will grow up neurotic, what with Martha here carrying on the way she does, sleeping till four in the p.m., climbing all over the poor bastard, trying to break down the bathroom door to uh, wash him in the tub when he's 16, dragging strangers into the house at all hours. Okay, you. Martha? That's enough. Well, do you want to take over? Why would anybody want to wash somebody who's 16 years old? Oh, for Christ's sake, honey. Well, why? Because it's a baby poo. All right. Our son, you want our son. You'll have it. Okay. So, Ethan. Matt. Truth and illusions. False sons. And we've got like 18 different stories of the kid by this point. We have yes. that she molested him in the bathtub effectively, that George mm. pushes him away, and then, of course, George kills him in the same way that he does or doesn't kill his father or does or doesn't has a friend who kills his father where the fuck are you driving that there's a goddamn porcupine in the road well i think that's part of the absurdity of our illusions right that you say well he was swerving to avoid a porcupine and then ran into a large tree and it just sounds the way it sounds way it's put together it's melodic in its just lie it's illusory properties Right. right it's it is very enticing in the way that it's constructed right that stranger than fiction quality, except for in right. this case, it seems to be fiction. Right, yeah. So where do we go with this? <laughs> you go home and you drink until the sun comes up. 
Well, see, that's why I figure you like this film a great deal because <laughs> everyone in this film has drank three bottles of bourbon by the oh end. Oh my of it. god, the amount of alcohol that is consumed in this film is is obscene. And but but I but I I also love this film because it it really paints you know the, a picture the, of your psyche. A picture of my psyche. No, uh, these these relationships as like this this constant sparring match, and the 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 you know the dialogue is so tight, and the characters are so sharp. At least, especially the older ones. The younger ones are, are not quite there yet. And so I think I think a lot of this film has has to do with you know I think I think what we can take away from this is that in old age. I mean, this is about old people and young people, and the young people. Are, pl- are still playing the game and the older couple has decided that you know we're not we're not gonna pr- we're not we're really not hiding a lot of this facade I mean still they have things that they hide and there's still a facade that they put up but it is it is very thin yeah I think we're seeing the opening movements or actions for to talk about this as a war of this young couple and we're seeing the final route perhaps of this older couple and just the idea that this is all perpetuated by illusions and ownership of this false truth that's constructed. And, oh boy. Well, Ethan, yeah. I feel like we're, we're just getting right into our three questions. Why don't we go ahead and formally plant ourselves there? Let's do it, Matthew. Let me build you this illusion that I like to call our first question. And do we care? I, I think, yes, absolutely we care about this film. Okay, but why? Because this film is... It pushed boundaries uh, at the point that it came out. Uh, I mean, when when the this play debuted, I mean, they basically said it was unfilmable. You'll never film this. You can't put this in a movie theater, and and they did. And it's and it's this it's a it's a sort of dark family drama that I think prefigures a lot of things that you know will, that will come later. And I'm and and that I know we're bleeding questions here, but you know I think it I think it, it is a shining example of what the, a dark family drama can be. I mean, it is the epic of these sort of dark family drama because it, it shows the the family. Um, and, and of course, I mean, again, it's, it's important that it's like, you know, an old man and an older woman and a young man and a young woman, almost as though they are themselves a, a unit, a family unit, the son and daughter of the, of the father and mother, right? And it, and it does not paint it well. It says that this is all fucked up and it's a constant fight it's total war families are total war and it just is like this is how this is how this is the dark side of the family that functions that it does function right because they you know are are still married at the end and and presumably this is not a a terribly out of the ordinary situation for them yeah i think i agree with the reasons we care about this film for all those that you mentioned it was a very i guess we could call it a seminal film in what would then have been considered as obscenity. Yes. And how that, it was even allowed to exist in this time period. I think at some point it was confiscated and and pretty much, they pretty much locked the film up behind bars, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I read that they released the film on vinyl, the entire audio of the film on, on vinyl for people to listen to at home because uh, it, it, it wasn't, it, you could, movie theaters wouldn't play it. I also think it's the most expensive black and white film ever made. Is that true? It was something that was thrown up to me during those IMDb X-ray things when oh, you were watching. Oh yeah, the film. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 
might have been for its time. I'm sure someone has made a more expensive black and white film today just by the inflation of money. But I think certainly for its time, it was the most expensive. And it has this huge star-studded cast and these Academy Awards that it was yeah. in the running for. I'm not sure how many of those it won, but it seemed like it had nominations all over the place. Yes, nominations all over the place and a couple of wins. The I believe Elizabeth Taylor and the woman who plays Honey both won uh, Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, so obviously very highly acclaimed. So I think for all these reasons, we have to care about it. But... Our next question is, what do we owe to this film? Uh, I mean, I have sort of reached for this in the last question. I mean, I think that this sets the stage for, you know, boundary-pushing dark family dramas. Uh, and I feel like, you know, there have been there are versions of this, you know, all over the place. And 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 it paves the way for for more obscene, you know, quote unquote obscene films where they talk about sex and you know they're up front with things like abortion yeah it pushes taboo in a way that nothing had right uh so you know and and what it does in terms of like homoeroticism with uh george and nick i think it's very clear that not only does martha want to fuck nick but so does george i wouldn't maybe go that far but i would say there's a homosocial relation going on and then the mingling of this romantic triangle i think it's very complicated because she has shared her bed with Nick and George, and George presumably sleeps in the bed they shared afterward, and they had that moment on the lawn. They got very close together. Yeah. I think there is something complicated going on there for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think Richard Burton's performance, especially in the first scene where the women walk away, I mean, he's he's very. I think it's very clear that he's coming on to Nick. He's got his arm around him. He's ruffling his hair. Nick is very uncomfortable. I mean, the way the way some of these shots are lined up as well. You know, there's a weird courting going on, and of course, Martha is also courting him explicitly. I mean, he comes in, and it's pretty clear that he wants. Well, not to maybe devolve back into themes, but I think. There is something of a power struggle going on. Yeah. If George can dominate Nick, then he is not as impotent as he has been accused of, perhaps. Right. Yes. Definitely. I would say we owe a great deal to this film. Again, I think you fairly well covered all the things that you mentioned. However, I want to bring up the... There's a lot of little sayings in this film that I couldn't really track down to anywhere else. I thought, huh... Are this where we're getting these things from? Mm. So for me to know and you to find out, I tried to look that up. And the only thing I could find was something from 2005. And clearly this predates that by a yeah. wide stretch. So is this where we get that saying? I don't know. I don't know. It, I mean, it seems possible. I mean, the way that's delivered and the way that Nick reacts to it, it seems to be novel to him. So it doesn't seem mm. to be like a, it doesn't seem to be, played off as like a saying of the time so i was wondering about that and i did try to do some research about it and couldn't find anything so in addition to all the ways in which this is pushing taboo in a new way i think there's also so many sayings and phrases from this film that just were so intimately recognizable to me as someone who had never seen this film certainly haven't heard of it but had never seen it i think it has you know a lot of iconic shit for lack of a better word throughout it you know Mm -hmm. so yeah go ahead take us away so why don't we turn to our final question and does this film hold up absolutely it does absolutely no question i think i want to complicate this a bit 
Okay. Because I didn't enjoy watching this film. I don't think you're supposed to enjoy watching this film, though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I, that's, where I'm, that's where I'm coming from. I don't think you're supposed to enjoy watching this film, but it is two hours and ten minutes long. I think 2.08 yeah. if we're being technical. Mm-hmm. And so to ask you to sit through what is literally verbal abuse the entire time mm-hmm. can be a really big ask of a modern audience. And again, True. I always try to answer this question from the, the side of, well, what does the public think? And then also what are we supposed to say critically about it? And I think for this one, this is really hard to ask someone to sit down and watch this film and get as much out of it as perhaps we have in our conversation here. Right. I don't know that this film would be, you know, a, a blockbuster necessarily. I mean, I just feel like if we're thinking about it in that way, movie going tastes have, have changed drastic. Well, maybe, I don't know. I mean, they've, they've shifted, right? I mean, this would not necessarily, I mean, this isn't going to make more money than star Wars. Unfortunately, it, it does ask a lot of the audience, but I think some of that comes from the fact that it is a, it's a play. And so I, I suspect that it asked a lot of the audience, even in its in its day, more so now. Well, I'll say this. So I think this does ask a lot of its audience, and it is a play, and I think that matters. But at the same time, something like, I don't know, Hoffman's Death of a Salesman, I can watch that, no problem. That seems like a, it's another depressing story about dismal topics and taboo of things like suicide and, again, also dealing with aging. However, that seems far more accessible to me and a, a smaller ask than perhaps this film is. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, but I, uh, but I would argue that this is a much more uh, ambitious film than even Death of a Salesman. Well, that might be a conversation for a different time, for a different yeah, podcast. Perhaps. Next time, we have number 66 on AFI's Top 100 list. You know what film that is? Tell me. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, that's exciting. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, sorry, I can't do that. No, we can't do that. Stop it, stop it, stop it. We're get sued. Oh, no, shit. But we also, that week following right after there, have something else that's very, very important. It's part, what, seven of the rundown? Oh. Our oh purgatory continues. I know. It's like a never, it's just a, another fresh hell for us to enter. <laughs> well, I look forward to that fresh hell. I look forward to our following episodes, but until next time, I've been Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. Martha! What do you want? Spoilers! You son of a bitch. There Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at Becca the Knight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much there's a big snake in the plane shock oh that's just my pet snake reggie i hate snake shock i hate